Hello. Hello! It's Alex here. And Kiki. On this episode, we're setting sail into a premiere production of a brand new musical by the National Youth Music Theatre. Jordan Lee Smith is the book writer, lyricist and composer of The Boy Who Sailed the Ocean in an Armchair. He pulls back the cover on how to adapt a novel into a musical. And his personal connection to the protagonist in the show. Welcome to Making, Making a, a Musical, musical the, the Future of, of British Musical, musical Theatre. So Kiki, just lately... There's been a lot of chat online about original musicals versus adaptations and how the industry is going moving forward. But today, I think we have a really exciting argument for why adaptations are a fantastic option for the future of musical theatre. I agree. Today, we have Jordan Lee Smith with us, who has written a musical called The Boy Who Sailed the Ocean in an Armchair. I mean, if that is not an epic title, I don't know what is. So how did you find this book? And then I guess what inspired you to make it a musical? Sure. Um, I stumbled upon the book in a charity shop because I have a terrible, terrible habit, or at least I used to, of just picking up books in charity shops because I like the title. That's a great habit. Maybe like 10% of those books I'd actually finished reading. You know, it's that kind of thing. You know? <laughs> um, so I knew literally nothing about this book, nothing about Lara, the author, nothing about her stuff. Uh, and then I started reading the book and literally on page two or page three, you find out that the leading character lost his mum when he was four. And that hit me like a rock because I lost my dad when I was 16, 17. So I was like, whoa, I didn't realize this was the book that I bought from this charity shop just because I like the whimsical title and read it in a couple of days and I was crying and laughing and all of that. And uh, I guess it's that classic thing, but it's really true that when you, when I was reading it, you, I could hear the songs and I could see it on the stage and there was so much emotion and they do say, write what you know. And I kind of know grief quite well. So I was like, well, I think this is, this is my way into into writing for musical theatre, I think, because I've been sort of pottering with lots of different ideas, adaptations and originals. Uh, but this was, the, stumbling across this was like, okay, I think I'm, I'm now ready to write my first full-length show. If you thought, yeah. That's love at first sight. Basically, yeah. Love at first title. Basically. Yeah, indeed, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so to walk us actually through the practicality of that. You're in the charity shop, you've picked up yep. this book, you've gone home, you've been like, gut-punched, yes. I love this. yes. How did you then go about saying, you know, going through the process of getting the rights, which is just so important and for young writers might be a step easily missed in this process? For sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Don't write anything until you've got the rights is basically the rule. Yes. Um, I think, well, I think I stumbled across the book maybe in 2017 or 18 and I'd sort of left it on my shelf for a while. I did a couple, I did a little bit of um, analyzing of it and working out how it could be adapted into a musical, but I didn't write any material as such, just lots of structural stuff. And then the pandemic happened. Mm -hmm. Great. And um, I'd been contacted by university of Chichester to ask if I had anything, anything at all that might be of interest that, I could develop into a musical because they were, they, they've developed shows all the time there. Um, and it was this book that came to mind first. And I then remembered that maybe a year before that I'd written an, an email to the, to the writer's publisher um, because 
I think I think that's usually the route to go. You go who who has the rights? So with a book, it's probably the author, probably their publisher. So I, I just wrote an email to them and never heard anything back. Mm. Yeah. So a year later, now and Andrew Wright from from the University of Chichester's going, okay, okay, well, do it again, do it again, you know. <laughs> so then I, I I actually sent a handwritten letter to the agency this time and I got a reply this time, funnily enough. Wow. And then it, after a long process, um, we winded up then using chichester as an opportunity to do a proof of concept workshop uh which um lara didn't come because there was a whole covid thing that happened but we'll just gloss over that (laughs) (laughs) but basically it was we did about i wrote about 40 minutes worth of material for the show i I did like an opening sequence and i did a bunch of different scenes from the book uh, basically to just prove to lara that i thought it was ripe for musical adaptation. And I was like, I was gunning myself for like, okay, I need to prove there could be a musical, not just a play, you know, you know, cause that's all this and that. And then I finally met her and she's like the biggest musical theater fan in the world. And I was like, Oh, after all that. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, one of my like biggest inspirations for this book is, is, you know, over the rainbow and all this. And I thought, oh, okay. Right. <laughs> so I didn't need to try that hard um, to prove it, that it could be a musical, but um, she really liked the material and was very keen for it to move on. So, and then after, to that we went down the formal route of getting an option etc so yeah get your rights kids what was it that about this where you, you thought i know this is right for musical theater because it's there's one thing saying this is this is a theatrical adaptation yeah but it's another thing saying it's a musical so what actually was it about the book that made you know that that was the right format certainly for the style that i'm writing this show where it's pretty much through composed and most of the dialogue is underscored it's a it's a piece that moves at quite a pace and when you have to get through quite a bit of plot especially at the beginning of the show to set it up i felt like musical theater does that really well and there's also a lot of magical stuff that happens in in the story and things that require the audience to really suspend disbelief and musical theater is really good at that Mm -hmm. musical theater is really good at bringing like a, a guy and a girl uh, who who really really dislike each other and then after three minutes of book and an amazing five minute song they fall in love and you don't question it because it's musical theater if that was a play you would probably struggle with that notion mm. it would probably take an hour and a half to get mm. you there but you can do that in a musical in a five minute song and i felt like that is that that function is absolutely what i needed slash the, the novel sang to me so i mean maybe it's really hard to explain it just sort of like it just sort of instinctively tells you you know um not saying it couldn't be applied to see why not but mine it's the musical they sing (laughs) you've got the rights you make the decisions (laughs) (laughs) evil cackle (laughs) um i think you mentioned uh you know before the podcast started how how important the physical theater aspect was to you in writing that yeah how, where did that come from when you were reading that you know the the book and then how does that affect your your writing style it felt like a reading the book because it felt all very much through the eyes of this child i wanted to make sure that the, the show wasn't childish but childlike and very driven by by his actions and i felt like anything that was i mean like the main prop in the show is this paper crane where there's a thing in this in the in the show where um beckett is introduced to the notion of the 1000 paper cranes and if he gets if he makes a thousand paper cranes uh he gets a wish so just the notion of like seeing beckett and an ensemble of kids and adults making cranes on stage i was like okay well that's a starting point that's you know and then 
from the making of the cranes, how do you embody that physically and how does that translate into scene transitions and actually creating the scenes and stuff? And I was very much intrigued by, I'm very inspired by the... Um, <clears throat> The, the lo-fi musical theatre productions of certain shows like uh, like falsettos for instance you know how everything just comes from nothing and you, you change location like this or characters share the same space and time even though they're not um, that sort of stuff i'm really intrigued by that so i was very much up for a physical theatre language which i think I'm, I'm amazed already by the work steve kirkham has done uh, so far in rehearsals it's just fantastic um but it's always been in my mind that 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 was the language and it would enable me to do the snap changes that I needed to get through this story. Yeah, there's a lot of um, practicalities to think about with the adaptation, isn't there? Because obviously the novel will have its own structure. Absolutely. A musical yeah. requires an entirely different one. How did you totally. go about mapping that out? Are you a spreadsheets person? Or are you a post-it I'm a spreadsheets person. OK. And what do they look like? a mess <laughs> there's many spreadsheets many like i did a spreadsheet first of the um of the the novel as it stood and then kept refining it refining it until i was like onto the 10th spreadsheet or something uh and then but like you can do as many spreadsheets as you want but it doesn't become clear until you go into the room uh the the big thing in the book is in the first week of play in the book it's it's his birthday and at the end of that first week it's his birthday party oh, it's his birthday as such um and the framing device that i needed that that, that wasn't going to help me propel to the end of act one and i sort of toyed with the idea of what if the, the uh what if act one ended with his birthday you know so the, the show happened in a week but i couldn't fit everything that i needed to happen in a week and then my amazing director kate gollidge um who directed the first workshop she then hit me with the idea of what if it was longer than a week what if it was a month and then there we go so now i've got i have tension going all the way throughout one it, it, you don't really you don't need it in the book but you kind of do in the musical to get you all the way through all the way through to the end of that one really yeah i think that brilliantly leads us in to the first song you've shared with us from the boy who sailed the ocean in an armchair called beckett's birthday beckett's birthday hey what you doing just thinking ah oh, thinking about what you want for your birthday yeah that and page 22 of marvin's medical manual parasites or is it the digestive system oh you and your books knowledge is power that's what dad says a month from today, you'll be turning 11. You say that like I don't know. Well, your dad and I still don't know what you want for your birthday. We'd love to know, put it down, what you want for your birthday. Give us a clue. What do you want? What do you want? Beckett! He's gone. He's vanished. Who? Who's vanished? Take a look, everyone. Anthony, my brother Billy. The worm. Ninety-nine percent of the time he's talking nonsense. One minute he was there in his mud pile, and then the other one percent. Poof. Sublime, utter nonsense. And now he's bird food, like Roger the caterpillar. Hey. Okay. Listen to me, boys. I can't work with all this noise. Billy, you can't just blame without any solid facts. Beckett, you shouldn't rise to Billy's attacks. Apologise. 
Sorry. Sorry. Show me some restraint. Why don't you help me paint? Yes, I will finish this chapter. Suit yourself. Paint on the shelf. But first, I want my hug. It's been three years. There've been no tears. They have their moments, but I really can't complain. He loves his hugs. He loves his bugs. I'd love to know what's going on inside his brain. Back to his books, discerning looks. I'd wish he'd tell me what he wants and no more games. That's my big brother. I'm like no other. To unhook him from his book, I'd confess his armchair into flames. I can hear you, and it's combust. Page twenty-one of Ha! Hey, give that back. It's Beckett's birthday. Why aren't you? It's Beckett's birthday A month from today It's your brother's birthday I know, I'd be delighted But it's his birthday, not mine So tell me what you want for your big day A toy, a book, I will obey But just say Beckett Must I? Just say Beckett I... I... Where's Dad? Delivering fish Still It's getting late I'm out of red, Beckett. Would you be a dear? How can you say no to that smile? A portrait of Pearl, as nice as she is kind, as kind as she is knowing. A portrait of Pearl, her hugs are just the best. She's cool and easygoing. Ugh, too dark. More light. Most of the time, long golden hair tied up with a brush, keeping the struggle out of view of what she's painting. She's painting herself without a care No rush as she applies her brush To a portrait of Pearl A self-portrait of Pearl She sings happy birthday in tune She is sadness immune She loves us to the moon and back Oh yeah To the moon and to back the moon and To back. the moon and Oh, it's true We love you to the moon She's toast without the crumb That's a portrait of a portrait of an almost month Hear me out, your birthday could be so much fun A party with cake, consider it done CPR, send invites to everyone you know Lay them down, even those who you think you don't know Tilt the head and they tell you the chin you do, you do, fire rescue breaths. 30 chest compressions at 100 pumps a minute. Follow that with two more breaths, then the cycle will begin. It starts with 30 chest compressions at 100 pumps a minute. Follow that with two more breaths. But it's just a bit surprising. Let recovery begin. Please tell me what you want. I'll be your confidant. Afraid I'll get you something you don't like. A bike, a big bike. A really big bike. What would you it's like? It's birthday. Down to the head. It's my brother's birthday. birthday. The chin hits the nose. on the phone. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. Daddy's on the phone. Hi, Dad. Beckett, where's Pearl? She's painting Sticker on the phone I said she's painting Hey, watch your tone It's fine Guess it can wait till tonight Don't be late 
sweet again. She doesn't like you being late. I hate to say, Dad, are you okay? Beckett, what do you want for your birthday? Sweet baby cheeses, not you as well. You're not as easy to buy for as you think you are. That's true, your dad's right. Get Tell us a hard Give us a clue. I want to go on. I mean, what do you get the kid that has everything? But that's it, Dad. I don't. Let's not put on a show. We only want to know. One month to go. Till Beckett's birthday. Yes, it's Beckett's birthday in 31 days. It's the big boy's Double digits, but still he fights and fidgets. Why is he so hard to read? Please take the lead. What do you need? I promise I will try, I will find a way one day. I'll tell you what I really, really, really want for my birthday. Tell us back Jordan, you set the the show up for us quite nicely with the context of of the birthday, but uh-huh. maybe give us some like overarching ideas of, the, of of where the show goes, and I guess who is it for? Because the book itself is for young readers. Yeah, it's written for eight to twelve year olds for sure. I guess the musical's sort of like it's for everyone, <laughs> five to ninety five. You know, it's a whatever they say for Pixar films probably I'd say yeah um in terms of the show so Beckett wants two things so just as as you've heard he's everyone is asking what he wants for his birthday and he's not telling everyone um he he does tell the audience eventually that what he wants is to say goodbye to his mum he doesn't for whatever reason he doesn't quite feel confident comfortable enough to to say say that to anyone um and he keeps that to himself uh and then shortly after that number you just heard um dad wakes them up in the middle of the night and uh, him and his brother billy and he's like okay i've packed our bags and we're leaving we're leaving everything behind including pearl your almost mum and we're, we're leaving we're leaving uh and the boys love pearl and they are completely dumbfounded as to why they're doing this so they set themselves on a mission to find pearl do they find her i don't know you have to come see <laughs> or read the book um, <laughs> um so we go on a big old adventure which includes singing snails and <laughs> singing, singing snails. snails yes uh i presume this is all part of this adventure in the oh, armchair in oh, the yeah. ocean all this all this yeah all in all magically or in the minds of the two boys uh and they 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 try to find Pearl and they try to f- find a place to call home basically and they're they're pretty certain it's it's wherever Pearl is and they're, they're determined to find her and go back home. Beckett's also determined to say, find a way to say goodbye to his mum because he never got that chance and now he's he's old enough and articulate enough to to have these thoughts and actually go actually I need I need closure in my life and all that sort of thing. Um, of course, he, he he does eventually come to, to terms with his, his mother's death as so much as an 11-year-old boy can to the point of knowing that his mum will always be with him. So that's where home is. So he, he'll, he's always home. So yeah, that's sort of the overarching story for Beckett. 
there yeah. seems to be some really big themes yeah that sure. originally again as you're saying are for those eight to 12 year olds and then even on stage quite yes. universal but it's mm. it's quite heavy material it's really heavy it's like it's create like the book is so well written the book is so that the humor is outstanding and the language that laura uses i'm really trying to capture in this adaptation it's it's never it's never bleak and it's never self-pitying it's very matter of fact i tell this story because it reminds me a lot of the language becca uses in in the in the uh, in the show when i lost my dad i was 16 17 and my little cousin on on my uh, mum's side he's 12 years younger than me so what's that i can't do maths he must have been four, four or five, five. Yeah. and we were just sitting at a table and he, a cl- he knows what's going on but not completely but i think he knew more than i thought uh you know i can't remember how it came up but my dad did come up and he just very innocently says well at least i've still got my dad but like completely innocent i could not be angry at him of course and it, but that sort of language is all over this this show it's very very to the point with the kids uh, i think if, if there's anything that i want to do with this show it's firstly i want to write the show that i wish i'd watched before i wa- before i lost my dad i think i would have coped better Mm. Uh, in a way it's kind of therapy for myself writing this show but I also want to stand up for kids in this show because I think kids know a lot more than we give them credit for and a big part of the complications of the plot in this show is due to the fact that the adults don't tell the kids everything and if they just did there there wouldn't be that many issues so I think yeah that's a big thing for me yeah letting kids stand up for themselves there's real parallels between you know sh- shows like Matilda mm-hmm. or, or Curious Incident. Yeah, um, that they they're also not a children's audience. You know, adults can enjoy them and young people can enjoy them, and, and sure. really both get a lot out of it on lots of levels. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it's a show that I wish yeah families can come, and perhaps at the end of it, this can open doors of conversations for them, stuff that they wouldn't perhaps would never have come up in conversation before. But I think. Grief is one of those taboo subjects that no one really knows how to talk about it sometimes. Even when talking to a friend who's just lost someone, you don't know what to say. You don't know what the right mm. thing is to say. Actually, the, 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 the only thing you can say is, hey, I'm here for you and that's it. You know, and, that, and that's a fine thing and talk about it. If they wish to talk about it, that's totally fine. And I think this show helps bring that subject up and certainly with younger kids, provoke them to ask questions to their mums and dads and stuff like that Mm. but yeah you're right this show is for everyone definitely um i'm not writing it for for one specific age group as such it is for everyone how did you find that impacted writing because because you write book music and lyrics independently whereas Mm -hmm. you know um other people you know may work in collaboration how did you kind of how did that affect your process did it change how you approached your writing process for sure well to be honest of all the projects i've done prior to this i had never done all three uh and as this this adaptation is mostly sung through with little bits of book here and there i felt pretty confident and i i felt great ownership on on the book and i of all the projects i've been on this was very much an idea that had come to me and very much I had a very clear vision as to how it should be adapted. Um, but as with all musicals, certainly the ones that are written book music lyrics, the ones I, that I admire, 
um, it, it's a it's a myth that there is no collaboration because there is collaboration. I collaborate with my director, my music supervisor, orchestrator, even the choreographer now all the time. So I I'm I'm not just the only one bouncing ideas just within me. You know, certain certainly with Ben Ferguson, my orchestrator, he um, he expands my music to to heights I could could never imagine. You know, so it's sort of I am collaborating very much so. Um, I think the beginning of it is quite lonely, of course, when you're like setting it all up. I do a lot of preparation. The writing does not take as long as the preparation as such. Um, what does the preparation involve for you? Firstly, working out the whole structure of the show. That took me a good couple of years, at least to get to a point where I was happy with it. And um, when upon approaching each scene, spending time with the characters, rereading the novel, working out which beats I need to hit. And that, that'll, you know, that could take a couple of days. That could take a week, you know, just trying to get everything right. I don't want to waste my time and write the wrong song basically. So I want to make sure I write the first, the, the, the right song first time done so I can move on. <laughs> you know, I can always go back to it and fix yeah. it if I need to. Um, but the preparation stuff and the character work is, is, is the important stuff. Yeah, and when definitely. you're actually writing the songs, are you the sort of person who writes chronologically or do you, do you go with like, how, how do you, how do you approach sure. that? I think I've always wanted to write chronologically, but sometimes like, cause we, our first workshop was a proof of concept workshop. So I didn't want to just do the first section of the show. I wanted to do mm. other bits as well. And uh, I think in that, in that, in that moment, I was just glossing through the book and going, which bits speak to me and stuff like that. And there was a couple of bits in act two that I really wanted to write for Laura to say, or I can, I can absolutely see what this duet is right now, like clearly. Um, but in terms of actually writing the show, it, it's been a chronological process. Definitely. It helps me musically. It helps me because I know I can chart where my musical themes are and how I'm developing them through the show. Mm. Um, that being said, I know exactly how the show is going to end everything so it's fine i know where i need to get to i know the end of act one i know the top of act two and i know the end of act two <laughs> just filling in all the other bits you know <laughs> no, it's, the, it's the signpost isn't it you know oh, totally, you, you yeah. have to have those in place for absolutely sure. definitely i think stephen schwartz says a similar thing about wicked of, of all the versions of that show that's existed apart from early versions where they had a completely different ending the top of the show to find gravity end of act one that she's going to fly and the top of act two have always stayed the same mm. and i find that mm. so interesting that that never changed and that was steven you know i know he brought on winnie later on but that was always steven's vision i find that really interesting yeah and bringing on collaborators yes what do you look for in a great collaborator and how do you know when you found it well i was i was collaborating with a guy called ray rackham once uh and we hardly ever wrote in the same room Often he would write the lyric and then he would send it to me and I would write the music in a very Elton John, Bernie Torbin sort of way. <laughs> but it really worked for us. I know a lot of people like to be in the same room. I take a lot of time and preparation. I write my music out by hand mostly. And it's, it's wow. I can't, I can't just improv. I mean, I can, but it won't be as good. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I often feel a lot of pressure when I'm in the, in the room with the collaborator sometimes. But once it's done and dusted, I can, I can meet up with him and we can uh, revise stuff together and stuff like that. But certainly when it came to uh, like a, like writing an opening number with him, he would send me the whole lyric and be like, okay, let's structure this this thing. And then there was bits where I was like, oh, can we extend this section? Oh, I don't think we need this bit, you know. But then I just write the thing and then we'd come together after that. I think I'm definitely a solid terry writer <laughs> even when i'm collaborating funnily enough <laughs> and um yeah. the second song we have 
from the show is called Height Lines. Mm. Was that one of the ones that you always knew where it was going to be? Was it part of that initial proof of concept pitch or has it come on? This is a very recent song. It was a song that I always wanted to write, but I didn't think I'd have time to put it in the show. But when I got to this point working chronologically, I was like, oh, Beckett needs a solo. (laughs) We're, We're too far in now. He needs something just to... He's been holding in a lot of emotion and he just needs a release song to just to just let it all out. He's the height lines he refers to is he's on he's on one of his missions to find Pearl. Him and Billy miraculously managed to get on the right bus and go all the way back to their old house where they last <laughs> saw Pearl. Uh, and they they go in the house the, the the door is open for some reason and they find two other adults there that are living there now. So hmm. anyway, as he's walking out, he sees on the wall these pencil marks which his mum used to draw on the wall from when he was growing up. Uh, And that really triggered him. And that triggers him to sing this song. This is how tall I'll be. This is how tall I am This is how tall I was When I said my first word My second and third My fourth birthday when you cried I was this tall when you This is when it happens A puddle of fear in my stomach starts growing Like the deep end of a big swimming pool overflowing Is this sadness? Is this pain? When will the sun come out and stop the rain? I miss you by my side Telling me stories, giving me strength to take on The world feeling safe in your stories Free to roam in your stories Feeling like home Where is home? How tall I was This is how tall I am I will be this high When I find the right That's such a hairs on the back of the neck moment, hearing you describe where that song comes in the show and then to hear the song as well. uh, It's in that description that you know that this is a theatrical adaptation. 
Mm-hmm. You can you can see it right there. Did you get that feeling when you put it on its feet in a workshop uh, with with the other material? Is that you know do you do you see the material for the first time and you kind of go, oh, it works. Thank God, you know. <laughs> Definitely, the, the the fact it works that the actors it, it fits them. They they're they're having fun with the material. That's the most important thing. Definitely, um, I think it's been it's been a a wonderful workshop process because I've had an opportunity to work with, well, University of Chichester and the University of Winchester, fantastic, and the National Youth Music Theatre. Um, a mixture of amazingly talented students, which has enabled me to work with adult voices as such, and then working with MYMT, working with child voices. So I've sort of run the gamut as such, because we were very open at the beginning as to should the kids be played by kids or adults, you know. Uh, and from actually from the beginning, Beckett, was always played by a boy and Billy was always played by a girl, adults. And then we got to MYMT and we stuck with that. Uh, and then we tried it out with two boys and that also worked as well. So we were very fluid with that. And, you know, I still think it, it can work either way. Um, so to track that, you had the proof of concept workshop. We did a proof of concept workshop at Chichester and then the MYMT uh, got involved and gave me a workshop last summer and for those that don't know nymt nymt is national youth music theater yes yeah yes and And they work with uh children i believe between 10 and 23 10 and 23 that's right not really a child at 23 exactly young people young people exactly so they they produced a workshop last summer and off the back of that they're producing it this this season that's leicester curve in august yay um and then at the beginning of this year uh we did a third workshop at the University of Winchester, tried out some more new material with, again, ad- young adult students. And then since then, I've been using th- this opportunity to now finish the show um, uh, with another rehearsal process in April with National Youth Music Theatre, which was sort of half rehearsal, half workshop vibes. Uh, and we've got a, a few table reads set up already in the lead up to August to get it in a really, really good place. Yeah. And have you found there have been a lot of um, writing changes on your end in between each of these workshops or are you finding it's more fine tuning? Absolutely. I think a big, a big percentage of the workshops of the three workshops was refining the first 15 minutes of the show. In the first draft of the first 15 minutes, it was about 25 minutes long, not going to lie. But the, the setup for this show, whilst I think, those who've read the book may be surprised that I do spend so long in the theatre version of this show on basically the first few pages. The setup of this show can be done very easily and Laura does it so efficiently and deftly in the book. But what you what you can do in a novel is make people fall in love with a character instantly just by their language by te- by the way that you're told about them etc but in theater you have to do that through behavior and time spent with the characters and kindly manipulating the audience into liking or not liking certain characters and that takes time and i had to really refine that to make sure that that whole setup happened in the first 15 minutes and we got to the point where uh, dad packs up the bags and uh, takes the boys away and we get to the point where the boys have decided they're going to find Pearl. That all needs to happen in the first 15 minutes and we need to fall in love with characters. We need to know them inside out, all this and stuff. And that that, that was the most difficult bit to get right, um, including a little prologue that 
this completely like doesn't happen in the, in the book just to set, set the scene you know um so a big percentage of those workshops was getting the first 15 minutes right and i think i'm nearly there <laughs> <laughs> oh that's brilliant <laughs> Can you give us a little bit of insight? Because obviously these are the brilliant organizations that you yes. have had the opportunity to work with. Uh -huh. And you mentioned a little bit how the Chichester relationship came about. Yes. But the the other two, how, how did they approach you? Did you approach oh, no. them? Not at all. Well, I, I luckily have a, a, a very good relationship with the National Youth Music Theatre. I am alumni. I did productions as a kid uh, and I've MD'd a few productions for them. But just like everyone else, I had to apply uh, as part of their new writing competition. And similarly with the uh, University of Winchester, they do applications every year. I think they do them. They must do them through the summer because they have to get them ready for the autumn term. Um, so that this is all stuff that's available and open to all writers. And I highly recommend people uh, apply for them, even if they're not quite, you know, the, the armchair was not a finished product at all, but um, I had enough material that was worth workshopping. And it, I guess it depends on the writer and the team and all this and that. But I'm very much up for workshopping stuff, just getting it on its feet and just seeing seeing what it looks like and seeing what it sounds like, you know. And I think the benefits, correct me if I'm wrong, of going through university or, or youth organizations yes. is you have the benefit of being able to work with a lot of people. So if you've got a show with a mm. really large cast or can be expanded to a large cast, yes. you have the opportunity of really seeing that on its feet, which potentially through maybe more commercial workshop yeah. uh, avenues, mm. will may it might be too expensive to, to make happen. Totally agree. I mean, like Beam that's just happened, I had a cast of 14 and that was expensive <laughs> and a band of five. Um, so commercially speaking, yeah, Doing workshops are really, really expensive. Working with organisations like the National Youth Music Theatre, you end up working with kids that are incredibly enthusiastic and de dedicated to the material. With all the kindness to every actor that I've ever worked with in the professional <laughs> industry, perhaps a little bit more, because they, they have no... They have no other life commitments. They don't have to leave at five o'clock because they've got to feed their child or, you know, whatever, you know. They're just like, they give to the material 100% and... In, in certain aspects, you get a little bit more of those workshops. I think it's really useful as well, thinking about this particular material, because that kind of youthfulness is so key, uh -huh. core to the story. Yeah. And you can see how it's so important that that comes out in the way that it's actually produced and acted. For sure, yeah. I mean, every workshop has really defined the piece as a... It's a, it's a it's a show that wears its heart on its sleeve, but it's not over sentimental. You know, it really deals with grief in a very matter of fact way, and it is a thing in life that can't be denied, and it's a thing that everyone has to to, uh, to come to terms with and have conversations about. Yeah. But it also feels like when I watch the show, it's going to bring out a sense of adventure. Oh yeah, I that, hope so. That maybe I haven't had since <laughs> I was a child. And I think that's a beautiful thing, you know, about some of those other shows we've we've mentioned is it really takes you back to that feeling of um where you don't know about the big wide world mm. and it still feels like a really exciting, you know, adventurous place. Absolutely. The no. title really amplifies yeah, that. Absolutely. I mean they like when they first decide they're gonna find pearl it's like no question we'll find pearl we'll set up a spy agency and find Pearl. like just like yeah sure whatever <laughs> Great. i think i played spies as a kid as well i think right. I, yeah, yeah i'm here for it absolutely so remind us yes 
It's upcoming at Leicester Curve. <laughs> yes, it's going to the Leicester Curve, uh, 16th to the 19th of August, in a production produced by the National Youth Music Theatre, and I'm very excited. We can't wait to come and see it. Yay. And we'll be there in our own armchairs. Is it a, can we bring our own <laughs> armchairs? Of course. <laughs> Making a Musical is produced and hosted by Alex Jackson and Kiki Stevenson for The Other Palace. If you've enjoyed this episode, follow and rate the podcast wherever you're listening. It helps us share new British musical theatre with audiences all around the world. You can submit your new musical to be featured on the podcast at theotherpalace.co.uk. That's it from us. Join us next time for more Making Making a Musical, musical, the future of British musical musical theatre.